Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Tuttle, change up. Tuttle, we're going to do mailbag. You got the signs? <laughs> yeah, I got them. That was easy. I could hear the one tap or the two tap. Awesome. Yeah, so we are we are right in the thick of it, in the middle of Spygate, Banggate, Bang... Instead of the Bang... I've got a great idea for a TV show. Instead of the Big Bang Theory, how about we just do the Bang Bang Theory? And then we could go off on tangents uh, and conspiracy theories uh, in baseball and sports. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, welcome to the Bleachers. It is Bleacher Blums. And yes, we are having a little bit of fun, a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we are going to cover a topic that is hot and heavy on Twitter. It's hot and heavy in the national media as far as scandals are concerned. The new New England Patriots of sports are now the Houston Astros. So we'll dive into some of the conspiracy theories, some of the thoughts on that. And if you have been listening to Bleacher Blums, which a lot of you have been, and I greatly appreciate it, and so does David Tuttle, who is my counterpart on Bleacher Blums, you know how we feel about stealing signs in the game of baseball. I am Jeff Blum. I am an ex-position player, which means I hit in the major leagues. And then you've got a pitcher on the other side and David Tuttle. So you've got differing opinions. You've got differing ideas. But we all have experience inside of baseball and our thoughts on sign stealing. We will talk about those again. Uh, Tuttle is a pitcher, so it'll be great to hear his insight. I am a hitter, so I will give you some of the insight on things that we used to do and how neither of us are shocked about what's going on inside the game of baseball. But it has spiraled out of control and become a massive conspiracy against one of the best teams in baseball, the Houston Astros. So we have a lot to cover on that. There is a snitch involved, Mike Fires. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we've got Mailbag. We've got What'll Tuttle Say. We've got Blum and Blummer. You actually want to stick around. I know that we're going to talk a lot about the Astros and the sign stealing in the article by Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich, but you want to stick around for What'll Tuttle Say because Tuttle always brings some enlightening facts and fun when he gets out there. Bleacher Blums, I think. I mean, Blum and Blummer, I think. I'm, gonna, I'm not sure. I've got a couple of topics written down. Um, but I may talk about the college sports pay to play kind of thing that's been going around. It won't be to the extent that Jay Billis, Jay Billis breaks it down, but, uh, it'll be a fun thought as far as NCAA is concerned. But right now, my man, David Tuttle across the coast out there in California. How are we doing today, buddy? I'm doing awesome. Hey, uh, it, what's funny is you and I, this is always an Astros heavy podcast and Astros are always, uh, trying to. I don't know, gain some notoriety. Like how come they don't get the credibility of the Red Sox or the Yankees or the press and the publicity? Well, guess what? It finally happened. <laughs> the Astros have front page press Great and call. front page headlines. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately or fortunately for most of our listeners, uh, it's going to be a, probably a pretty Astros heavy podcast, which most of the listeners kind of enjoy. So hopefully we can break it down and create some sort of uh I don't know, some sort of logic and understanding and, you know, kind of get everybody back in their seats instead of running for the hills. Well, I mean, that definitely feels like if you're an Astro fan, hang tight because you've got to keep the faith and you've got to stay loyal to your fans or to your team. 
Uh, I know that's what I'm going to do. And I know it's a little bit tough right now being affiliated with the Houston Astros because my phone has literally been bringing it off the hook. Texts. I, I am now popular for all the wrong reasons because of the negative uh, publicity that the Astros have gotten here in the last couple of weeks or so. There's been some internal uh, movement with Jim Crane hiring his son. Nolan Ryan uh, has expressed that he will not be around. And I didn't even mean to set that up the way I did with Express after Nolan Ryan, but he has expressed his opinion about not being uh, affiliated or working as much as he did with the Houston Astros. Reed Ryan is going to pull back on his uh, influence on the organization. Uh, I, I love Nolan to death. I've had some phenomenal conversations with him, so it will, he will be missed. Reed Ryan is, you know, full disclosure, is the guy who signed me the first uh, big deal to get me to come to Houston to be the Astros broadcaster. So obviously I have an affinity for him, but he's also just a great baseball guy, a great baseball mind, and he will be missed. One of the true professionals around the sport, but uh, things are in flux. Things are in transition. And one thing that's not in transition me and Tuttle, I still love him. He's still my boy. And we still go way back and we talk quite frequently and we enjoy being on this podcast. Bleacher Blums is the name of the podcast. I would love for you to tell your friends about it. Subscribe, rate, review. Interact with us by going to our website, bleacherblums.com. We have got all kinds of information on there about David Tuttle, myself. Uh, you can buy some t-shirts if you want. We're looking to upgrade some of the t-shirts and create a little more buzz and especially heading into the holiday season. And I've got to do a better job of getting some of my old scorecards up there for, for those of you who want to purchase those and maybe frame them up for family members to commemorate some of the games throughout the last couple of years. And one thing we love doing is that mailbag. And I know Tuttle's locked and loaded right now for that uh, mailbag that we have on bleacherblums.com. Yeah, I, I do have the mailbag. I want to say a couple of things first. One is, uh, yeah, we're looking to maybe do a holiday t-shirt or two. Um, I know we had the red and green shirts. Uh, we kind of had the template for that, but we're looking to maybe add a stocking cap to our, our logo or something like that. So stay tuned. And then as well, as well, Blummer, I, I, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're locked and loaded and we're tight. We, we haven't drifted apart even here in the off season. And I'm, I wanted to say that, uh, I had to resist the temptation to call you or text you during the uh, the last few days with the articles coming out. So I know we'll discuss it extensively, but folks, we did not set up our comments or set up our arguments today. We just kind of going to fly at it because uh, I know, as you already mentioned, we have different opinions uh, from a pitching and hitting standpoint, and uh, that's what makes the podcast fun. So first question, uh, we'll get off that topic for a second from Blake A. I know it never feels great to get hit by a baseball. But have you guys noticed a decrease in hit by pitch in the game? I remember guys like Biggio that would basically move in the way of a close pitch. No, he never did that uh, to, to get on base. I would think if you're behind in the game, more guys would like to take hit by pitch and get a runner on. But I haven't seen it a lot lately. I've only been hit by about 85 miles an hour. It left a mark. <laughs> left a mark. But with the arm protection these guys have, they should be able to take one for the team. What do you think? Or what say you? Is that you sneezing in the background? Alfred. Alfred's <laughs> making, his, making, uh, making his podcast debut. First time in a, well, it's not his debut, but his first time in about a month, he's back on. <laughs> it seems like allergy season out there in California for Albert. Uh, yeah, we had to bring Al Alfred, sorry, not Albert, Alfred into the situation just to clarify who's sneezing and who's not. But, you know, getting hit by a pitch sucks. It, it hurts incredibly bad. The best time to get hit by a pitch is 0-2 because you're, you're you're taking the base instead of the strikeout. 
I have been hit by 98 miles an hour. The worst hit by pitch I had was from uh, uh, Billy Koch, closer in the big leagues in the in the early no in the late 90s, early 2000s, and he smoked me in the ribs with about 98. I went down to a knee and then went to first base. And uh, my first base coach, God, I can't remember. It might have been Perry Hill at the time. He's like, "You okay?" And I said, I basically said, "Don't effing worry about it," because I was trying to, you know, keep the pain inside. And the less talk I did, uh, the better I felt. So that's the worst hit by pitch I've had. If I was Craig Biggio and I had that uh, catcher shin catcher shin guard on my left elbow, you'd be sure as hell I'd be leaning out there trying to take the hit by pitch and boost that on base percentage. Um, but yeah, I agree in the sense that hitters are not getting hit as often in this era. Uh, I know Tuttle might have a better idea on this, but uh, I know that the inside corner has kind of disappeared a little bit. I don't see too many pitchers, even as good as Verlander and Cole have been uh, with their velocity. They don't really pitch in all that much. I feel like some of the guys that don't throw as hard try to pitch in a little bit more because Maybe the hitters aren't anticipating it, or maybe they're trying to clear them off the inside corner to take advantage of the outside corner to set up a pitch. But overall, I agree in the sense that hit by pitches, I'd have to look at the numbers. I'm not sure exactly what they are. But the other thing I want to say about that is, and I may be wrong on this, but I have never, I, I feel, I feel like today's player, there's a fear of contact, and especially with the baseball. And I'll just leave it at that. Those are my thoughts. Excellent. And and what I would say is the game's changed. We talked about threes versus twos in the NBA. Um, I always thought when steroids got out of the game, we obviously know there were more home runs this year than any year previous, but uh, when steroids got out of the game, that we'd go back to seeing a little more like get them on, get them over, get them in kind of thing. You know, you have your Billy Hamiltons at the top of the lineup. He might bunt, walk, try and steal second, try and steal third, and then sack fly, get him in. But we know this is, you know, we don't see a lot of sacrifice bunts anymore. We see a lot more shifts and we see a bunch of other things going. And uh, so I think, I, I don't know, I think the key is that the style of baseball has changed significantly. So guys aren't trying to get on at all costs. And that definitely changes the mentality of hit by pitch. But also, I agree with you. I remember I had to pitch in. And I think what guys do, uh, uh, Bregman comes to mind. Bregman gives up the inner half of the plate and you have to be so fine in there. Like he, he's on the plate enough where if you, I threw a good two seamer, if I start that thing on the black inside and he sees it in on the black, he's going to let it go. Cause he knows it's going to ride in. So he's basically giving up half the plate anyway. And the fact that he's given up half the plate, and this is what makes today's hitters so much better. They're just looking at that, whatever it is, middle or outer half, or they're just, you know, they know they can't cover the whole thing. And obviously Tony Gwynn and certain guys like that, you know, there've been other guys, but it is the extent of the gentleman at the plate knowing what they're doing and having a plan and the way they execute that plan has increased as well in this you know non get them on get them over get them in era so these guys are trying to hit the ball out of the yard they're trying to center the baseball and they're giving up part of the plate anyway so they don't just want to you know get on base but i, I agree with you with o2 I was always so upset because i wanted to go either up or up and in to a guy and i would lean into one and you know, just as much as you enjoy that as a hitter, because now you get, you know, a, you're on base and you get a fresh start next to bat. I would just, I'd want to throw my glove down on the mound if I hit a guy on 0-2, especially when I had him right where I wanted him. Yeah, there was always a smile on my face when I took that hit by pitch in a 1-2-0-2 <laughs> count. I was like, whew, dodge that bullet. But great point on the, uh, the hitters nowadays and their approaches and their idea of the strike zone are that much better. So it really, if you go in, you've got to be very careful. 
Yeah, I totally agree. All right, the next question from Leslie D. So Leslie D says, love the show. I'm learning lots. The comments you guys were making, and I think this was a couple podcasts ago, about how pro sports have changed really struck a chord with me. I've gotten bored with regular season sports and prefer playoffs. My older boys tell people they learned how to cuss by watching the Oilers with me. <laughs> Old Houston Oilers. What do you think it will take to get back to playing the games instead of the refs driving the games? And I'll just say, you know, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. I realize I watch playoff hockey. I really enjoy playoff basketball. Playoff baseball takes it to a new level. Um, and then pro football. I mean, we see less pass interference. I think it's so funny that we keep talking about all these changes that are happening in all the major sports. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, the referees kind of let them play in the playoffs. So I feel like we kind of revert back to the old school. Like the Warriors struggled winning championships because they had a kind of a finesse assist, you know, long ball kind of mentality. And they get in the playoffs and Steph Curry gets knocked on his butt and they, you know, untie his shoe and they pull his shirt and they, you know, they do all the things that good old Bill Lambeer and the old Detroit Pistons used to do. And they're not the same basketball team. And and as you know, we've talked about this before. Playoff hockey is, I mean, that's as good a sport as there is on the planet. Yeah, I agree. And it's a great call. I, I don't know why it can't be the same in the regular season because you're always talking about consistency. If you're a player, the most consistent guys stick around the longest. So why wouldn't, if, if your viewership jumps in the playoffs, now obviously things are narrowed down because you have eight, 10 teams in the playoffs and you're getting a little more focused. But at the same time, the brand of play is that much better in the playoffs. So I think that's where Tuttle and I kind of jump in and maybe with Leslie say, you know, the playoffs are kind of cool because it is a different brand of, of game. It's a different style of play. It's a little more aggressive. It's a little more wide open. It's a little more sandlot, a little more playground when they go out there. And I think that's what appeals to all of us is to see these guys grind it out, get beat up, get knocked down. Who gets up first is usually the team that wins. But, uh, you know, it's, it's micromanaging by the leagues. They do that. Number one is to protect the players. Number two is to create uh, the, the authenticity or the integrity, quote unquote, that they, they think their game should be played under. But once you get to the playoffs, it's a little more raw. It's a little more animalistic where they go out there and, you know, it becomes Lord of the Flies. You know, the strongest, strongest team stands or the team that plays the best as a team stands. So it's it's a lot of fun in that sense, but I just think it's it's gross overmanagement by a lot of 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 teams and leagues that try to impose their will on how regular season games are played. But we all know that it, you know I think it also alters how management maybe runs their organization too, because the Oakland A's just I mean I know we're going to talk about the A's a lot probably in this podcast, but you know it's like the Oakland A's they're not built to win championships, they're built to compete, they're built to go to the playoffs. And that's where, you know, the separation is between the Yankees, Red Sox, Oakland A's, Minnesota Twins, Kansas City Royals, teams like that. The Royals went all in and, and built a team to win a world championship as opposed to some teams that just go out there and want to, quote unquote, compete just to get to the playoffs. They're not built to go farther. Yeah, great point. I mean, it's I, I enjoy, as we said, like playoff sports seems to be kind of more the original and that gets us away from less replays and less kind of involvement from, you know, things outside of the two teams battling for the championship. And I, and I seem to enjoy that. And it sounds like uh, Leslie does too. Um, so last thing, last question, and she's obviously asked a few questions before. This isn't as much of a question as it is a statement that'll lead us into kind of the rest of the podcast. So see if you can guess what this is about. Um, Tracy G says, say it ain't so, sign stealing. 
I think it's time you bring the word, the A word back to your podcast, the Astros, right? And I'm not sure Blummer's, yep. uh, and I'm not sure Blummer's going to be able to answer this since he's an employee. But do you think that MLB is going to find any evidence or hard data that electro- electronic sign stealing was taking place in 2017? I got home last night to all the tweets and articles about it. I remember laughing when Bagwell said all fears fires had to do was look at his arm if he forgot who he was. He has that big tattoo on there. Well, <laughs> apparently he forgot who he was, a champion, a world champion with the Houston Astros. Tuttle, say it ain't so. So that's a really good lead in to kind of the rest of the podcast, but that's super funny. No, that's a good one. And I think that kind of encapsulates what a lot of Astro fans are going through. And to, to answer, we'll get to the fires issue. I love that she brought up the uh, Bagwell quote because it was very true. It's very prominent when uh, maybe maybe the F wiggles on his fires tattoo when he's throwing a fastball. Get it? Fires, fast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I get it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as I, I'm curious, too, in the sense that she brings up a good question is what actual evidence are they going to have? Was somebody down there with their their camera phone or a hidden camera watching them watch the monitor that was supposedly down there? I haven't seen a picture of the monitor or the setup, so I don't know what that is. You know, and I know for a fact if you look in the Astros dugout, there's also a trash can in the dugout. There's also a trash can in the tunnel. So I mean, which trash can were they banging on? Because uh, the bang bang could come from anywhere, and if you're picking the guy out of the set position, you could bang bang your trash can in the dugout, not necessarily the one in front of the monitor. I don't know. Uh, the only evidence we have is uh, from uh, that dude on Twitter that keeps pulling up audio that I had. I, I call these games, and I don't remember half these bangs going on. But uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. But I don't know what actual physical evidence there will be. I believe it's just going to be a couple of ex-employees, ex-player, and that might be their source. I have no idea. I don't either. And we'll talk about that more as we go. Hey, we have a new, it's our same old sponsor, but we have a new contest here from Ram Shirts. So you know that we love Crush City Tees. Well, folks that listen to this podcast, please go to Instagram and find Ram Shirts, the parent company of Crush City Tees. That's Ram Shirts, R-A-M Shirts, S-H-I-R-T-S. The parent company of Crush City Tees, and they have just posted a picture of the Bleacher Blums podcast. Like the post, comment on it, and if you aren't following them, give them a follow, and they will choose five lucky people to give away a shirt of your choice. You can also choose, or I'm sorry, you can also use the promo code Blums, B L U M S, on their site to receive free shipping through the end of the year. So go to RamShirts on Instagram, follow, like, and comment on the latest Bleacher Blums picture for your chance to win free swag. So after this podcast or after it goes live, folks, we will uh, have that picture up there and five lucky people will win a shirt of their choice. How about that? Hopefully we can uh, get the holiday shirts up soon and maybe you'll be able to win one of those. So thank you to Ram Shirts for being a a sponsor from the beginning and we'll hope to uh, generate some following and some excitement via the uh, Instagram. That's outstanding stuff. Way to go, Tuttle, and thank you to Ram Shirts for setting all that up. We just want everybody to be involved in this process, and hopefully they enjoy it as much as we do. So go to CrushCityTees.com, or you can go to BleacherBlums.com, but uh, make sure you get on Instagram and follow at Ram Shirts to get uh, to be a part of that. 
and hopefully you're that lucky winner. We'll give you a shout out on uh, the podcast also. We'll throw that in there just for good measure to make sure everybody gets recognized who participates. But that brings us to the bulk of our podcast. You know that we talk Astros. You know that we talk baseball. We love talking sports. And we try and pick the biggest subjects. Now, this one's going to be a little bit tough for me because I've got to fully disclose the fact that I am, yes, an Astro employee. So I, I am technically a team employee. If that makes me guilty by association, go ahead and do that. If you want to throw me under the bus for being an Astro, go ahead and do that because I am. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have anything to do with what happens in the front office or anything that happens in the dugout, the clubhouse, or any of the meetings. I am just specifically employed by the team to broadcast their baseball games. And uh, that's what I do with great pride. I think that uh, they are a very good organization. I think they are uh, putting good guys on the field that play good baseball. But I also do know that they are exploiting every possibility to go out there and create a competitive advantage. And I think that's what this is about. Where is the line when you are trying to to, uh, create a competitive advantage? Where does that line draw? Does it stop at tipping pitches? Because that's a part of the game for the last 150 years. Uh, is it uh, stealing signs? Which, you know, that's that's another topic for me. I hate the fact that we're saying cheating and sign stealing. Because sign stealing is not cheating. I know that the the, the verbiage or the terminology stealing is is a derogatory comment. But at the same time, if you're putting fingers in your crotch and I can see it from the field, you're not hiding it enough for me to not steal it. So you're, you're exposing the information for me to try and try and figure out on the field. And, and again, I haven't gotten to the technological part of this yet. So on the field, tipping pitches, the way your forearm moves, the way your glove moves, how, where your hands come and your set as a hitter, I'm looking for any, any difference in normality that is going to show me what pitch you are bringing so that I can have a better idea of what you're bringing. Because if you're throwing 98 and you've got a turbo slider at 92 and then a hammer at 78, there's no way I'm going to cover all three pitches. There's no way I'm going to go out there and compete as, as well as I want to unless I can find the competitive advantage. And that's where the pitchers have adapted in their own right. They disguise pitcher. I don't know how many people remember uh, uh, Ryan Dempster. He was a guy who tipped early on in his his career, and he literally went to the fa- he went and moved his glove so dramatically throughout the course of his windup that you couldn't see shit. You couldn't figure out what the hell was going on, and it looked kind of clownish at the time. But by the t- but his success rate went up. He became a better pitcher when he he just started to disguise what he was doing. So that there are ways for everybody to combat that. There's no tells on the on the hitter side for the pitcher. Uh, you can you get an idea of my swing if it's laid on a fastball that you can beat me with the fastball, or the numbers dictate that I'm bad on a curveball. But the the pitcher holds all the cards in that poker match because they make the decision on which pitch is coming. As a hitter, I have to in a in a half a second I have to figure out which pitch is coming, the velocity, the break, the spin, the location, and then I've got to try and barrel it up. So hitting is a very hard art. And some guys, when you do get locked in, it doesn't matter if somebody's telling you the signs or not, you're going to be fine. But you need to, you're looking for advantages. Now, as we get into this, one thing I want to, I want Tuttle to keep in mind, and these are, these are things that I've heard throughout the course of my career, and I still hear very good pitchers say this, is if I were on, if I had pinpoint command of my fastball and all my secondary pitches, I could tell a guy 
what I'm throwing, not necessarily where it is, but I could tell a guy what I'm throwing and I will have success. But early on, this is a very big issue. Um, I don't know how much further I want to get in depth because I want to bring Tuttle in on this, but just to let everybody know, we know that uh, article came out from The Athletic. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellich, who truth be told was a disgruntled Houston Chronicle writer who left and went to Boston, uh, wrote an article using sources to confirm what the Astros uh, did as far as using a specific camera and monitor in their tunnel and hitting a trash can like we talked about to relay signs to hitters. One of the sources is an ex-player, Mike Fires, current uh, Oakland A. I'm not sure if he's a free agent, but uh, they also use people inside the organization who are no longer with them. Um, I already told you that I don't like the name sign stealing is cheating. Um, we need something better, like maybe in-game espionage. We need to add a little intrigue to it and a little fun to it uh, because this is getting blown you know, way out of proportion for me. But uh, you can't be you can't be obtuse to the point that there are 29 other teams that are doing this. Most notably in 2017, again, the Yankees were doing it. The Boston Red Sox got popped for using a damn eye watch in the middle of the inning, where he the I think it was the trainer that was getting a message on his eye watch in the middle of the game and relaying the signs to the hitter. That flew under the radar. It feels like compared to what the Astros' vitriol is getting. But this is, you know, this is three years of Astro haters building up against what the Astros are doing, whether they buck the system with analytics, uh, draft process, um, analytics, you know, their computers have been hacked, and now they found a, a chink in the armor with the sign stealing and relaying it. And obviously the videos are out there, but 29 other teams, I guarantee you have bent the rules to create an advantage for themselves. And guess what? After that article came out about the Astros, guess who's getting thrown under the bus now? Alex Cora and a new manager, Carlos Beltran. What I love about the article too is that it says, you know, current managers, Alex Cora, Carlos Belt. Carlos Beltran's been a manager for 72 hours and he's yet to put a uniform on on the field. So I don't know if we can actually throw him under the bus as far as the organization and the Mets are concerned. Let's give him a little bit of slack. But uh, now you're starting to see this kind of flow over. And keep in mind that every team in the big leagues from here on out is going to be under heavy, heavy scrutiny. So as much as you want the Astros to go down, if you're listening, if you're not a fan of the Astros, beware, your team is now under the microscope because if the Astros are getting looked at, all 29 other teams are going to have to get a good looking at too. So uh, that is the gist of what we're going to talk about. And I wonder, you know, moving forward, if it's going to just stop at sign stealing or if it's going to expand it, itself into more areas of rule breaking, because you know what? I wonder how many games Mike Fires pitched without a pine tar in his glove or if he did have pine tar in his glove. So I tell you what, we'll get into the Mike Fires situation, but I just wanted to lay the groundwork. And I know I've said a lot, but David Tuttle, first impressions, thoughts, break it down for me and feel free. Take the mic, run with it, and unload the info on me, man. I had a bunch of things, but one, you just said how many guys are going to run now on down the baseline correctly, right, with the Trey Turner situation. Like, now I'm going to start looking at that. <laughs> nope, he's got to run in this, like, the 45-foot area. Um, I, I think you made the best point, which is many good pitchers, Araldis Chapman, Garrett Cole, guys like that, they can tell you what's coming, and you can't hit it. And I used to have this debate with guys on my team. Um, there was a guy who kind of thought he was a hitting guru, guru, mind you, it was double A, so hitting guru or not. I, I, I asked him, you know, what pitch do you think great fastball hitters get out on the most? He's like, oh, the changeup. And I'm like, no, fastball. 
a good, a well-located fastball. And you would agree with that, right? Like you can tell guys what's coming. They can know what pitch is coming and they still have to figure out what pitch it is, know what the location is, and then figure out what they're going to do with it all within a half a second. So I think as you pointed out, um, Signs stealing. Now we're getting caught in the semantics. The guy stole second base, which sounds terrible. He stole second, right? Signs stealing sounds like it has some sort of underhanded. Uh, guys I talked to that played the game, guys that I talked to that haven't played the game, all agree that if you pick up the third baseman sign and you, you know the squeeze is on, you're allowed to pitch out. If you can pick up, you know, that the guy's going to pick over based on the the signs that the catcher's putting out, as you mentioned earlier, like if usually that's like the thumb over to first or whatever, if you can see him turning his hand and you're on first base, then that's your prerogative to get back earlier than you would because you know they're picking over. So whatever you want to call it, in-game espionage is nice. Maybe we can put up a Twitter poll and see what, uh, you know, people came up with Blum and Blummer. I like that. We should come up with, the, the the legal stuff that's allowed, which is uh, picking up signs from the other dugout based on how they're relaying them, it shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be referred to as stealing or you know underhanded because that's been part of the game as you said since Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner were playing, and I think that that's legitimate. Now, as far as the electronic, I think we would all agree if there's proof that there's electronic sign stealing going on, whether it be with the Astros or any other team. Then, then that has to be ousted, just like steroids, for the most part, were ousted when it was found out that guys were gaining a competitive advantage regarding that. I don't think guys should be allowed to video and then relay video. The technology is getting ahead of us. But, uh, but, but I think that, as you said, I, I don't like you know, the fact that Evan Drellich is a disgruntled employee and Mike Fires is a disgruntled employee. Um, I'd like to see a, a little more evidence in regards to what they have if if the signs were you know being electronically relayed i know when i played uh, i've told you about this guy before but there was a really good pitcher and i think he made the big leagues with the reds but if he held his glove like at his belly button it was a curveball if he held it at his chest it was a fastball and you could know right away i mean then if guys could hit the garbage can they could do first name last name which i don't know if we've described on the podcast you could relay the sign to the hitter in a split second as soon as the guy came set up oh, we know what pitch it is you know, hey, Mike, hey, Mike, we know what pitch it is. Hey, Mike, come on, Mike, let's go. Like, I mean, that, that it can happen that quickly. So just because there's video out there, oh, look how quickly they're doing it. It's got to be electronic. It has to be technology. No, guys have been doing it for years. I'd love, I'd love to actually get, I mean, you have access to a lot of these guys, but Eduardo Perez was known, notorious for picking guys up in two innings. It was like, a, it was like, um, What's that? That uh, name that tune. Remember that uh, that game. I can name that tune in. I mean, two notes or mm-hmm. three notes. Like those guys would race to see who could pick up the pitcher as quickly quickly as possible. So somebody like Eduardo Perez. I mean, he would. I, I remember we played in AAA against him, and someone's like, "Oh yeah, he's the wizard." And then it made me nervous as a pitcher. Like, oh no. Like, what am I doing wrong? Is my shoe untied, or am my feet more narrow on the mound, or my my elbow higher? Like you start thinking about things when you know guys are scrutinizing your, your, uh, your setup and, you know, kind of the different, the different, uh, you know, motions that you have or sets that you have based on the pitch or grips that you have. So, I mean, we could, like you said, we're going to get more into this, but I think it's a huge leap to say that they're automatically using technology and that they should be, you know, reprimanded and punished and that, you know, we're going to get back to the NCAA when Reggie Bush got his Heisman taken away. Like everybody knows Reggie Bush won the Heisman. 
and they're going to take it away? Like, are they going to take the World Series trophy away? I, I don't. And if they were doing it, why didn't they win this year? As you said, they lost all four games at home. So I, I just, I'd like to see a little more evidence. And we have to remember that sign stealing, legal sign stealing has been part of baseball since the beginning. Yes. And the particulars on the quote unquote evidence from the sources is that there was a particular camera at Minute Maid Park that zoomed in on the catcher, was able to pick up the signs. And that video was being relayed to a monitor in the tunnel in between the clubhouse and the dugout. And there was there's a picture of the trash can. I've still yet to see a picture of the monitor above the trash can or in the vicinity of the trash can. But then the trash can would be hit. And it would uh, just d delineate change up. Um, we've seen a couple of videos of that where the trash can is being hit, but the trash can doesn't necessarily, I mean, the noise that you hear doesn't necessarily point to the fact that it was from a monitor. So that's where I think Tuttle and I are kind of on the fence as far as agreeing in the sense that if you are doing that, if you have, if you have in, in real time able to pick up and have a camera designated to to pick signs in real time during the game, bad, bad on you. And if that happens to the Astros and they find evidence of that, yes, they're going to be penalized for it. I don't know if it goes to the extent of taking away a World Series championship because you still have to go out and play the game. You know, I don't think that you know, this game is so hard as it is. Even if you know what pitch is coming, you still got to hit it kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I would, I would assume that, in 2017, if Mike Fires is, is as mad as he is, he would give up all three of his home wins that year. Three out of, so he went three and six at home at Minute Maid Park with a 4.57 ERA, and he gave up 16 home runs in 15 games. The team was eight and seven. So I think the team, he owes a little bit to the team in the sense that he got a ring, and they also allowed him to spit the hook on about five games maybe at home. So, uh, you know, that's kind of interesting. Uh, the Astros at home that season were 48 and 33 and averaged 4.9 runs per game on the road, 53 and 28 with a 6.2 run per game on the road. Just kind of some interesting numbers to throw out there, but you know, the in-game technology, bad, terrible. Use the old school, take, take the, I don't know if it's going to, what it's going to take to put security in every dugout. I don't know if they're going to take away iPads. I don't know if you're going to elim eliminate monitors because every TV camera that you see on the field or on the sidelines, there's a monitor that, that shows what the game is being seen through that camera. So if you're hanging out at one end of the dugout, you can watch a replay. You can watch a sign. You can, this was going on when I played. There were cameras in the dugouts. There were monitors that we could see in the dugout. But uh, Tuttle can probably attest to this too because, I mean, he was one of those guys who sat in those uh, pitcher-catcher meetings and said, okay, uh, with nobody on, we're going to go first sign as far as pitch. And then if a guy gets on second base, we're going to go first sign after two. But I can tell you right now, when I played, obviously you could go up in the clubhouse, watch the game feed on the, on the TV in the clubhouse. If you're changing your shoes, getting a bite to eat, whatever it is, crossing. And, and now sitting in the booth, I'm watching the same obvious camera angles that everybody at home is. And everybody at home, if you listen to Bleacher Blums next season or any game you're watching, Watch how many times the center field camera shows the catcher in the background giving signs. Now, how many times can you figure out which pitch is coming just by watching the catcher? So I'm asking fans to be interactive in the game and maybe enhance their watching of the game. And I do this as a broadcaster. I, I have a monitor in my booth that I can watch the center field camera just like everybody else at home. And 
if I really focused on a given day, I could tell you which pitch is coming by the second inning with nobody on base. Now, there's ways to beat that. We saw the Washington Nationals do it. They, you know, Strasburg is messing with his glove. Uh, Kurt Suzuki and uh, Jan Gomes, I think the two catchers for the Nationals, are going, they're going heavy encrypted signs with nobody on base. They beat the Astros at home. They didn't beat them in Washington. Maybe the Astros have a monitor in Washington that they were picking up on. Who knows? You still have to execute the pitch. So that being said, there's ways to combat it. There's ways to beat it. But, uh, you, you know, I don't know how you feel about punishment. How do you feel about punishment? Do you think there will be any? I think there'll be fines. I think there'll be a slap on the wrist and maybe don't do that. And then some league-wide rules set in place again. But do you think anything, if there's enough evidence there, do you think they actually do anything about it? You know, I, I was kind of joking about taking away their world championship. Uh, I, I think, as you already pointed out, if, if the Astros are doing something, It'll, it'll depend on at what level. If it's just players kind of messing around with technology or the players are doing it. As I said before, some guys that I played with didn't want to know what pitch was coming. So, you know, that has a little to do with it. But I, I, if they were doing it the right way, then obviously no punishment. But if they were using in-game electronics, then obviously, yeah, I think there's a fine. I just, I don't know why. I, I need to see proof. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. I hate having these big conspiracies. You have disgruntled employees. You have people saying, oh, the garbage can hitting proves something. All it proves is that they were picking up signs from the pitcher. You can do that, and you've been trying to do that. Teams have been trying to do that since the beginning of time, as we already discussed. So, I, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not aware there's smoke, there's fire. I, I'd like to see a little more evidence. I do feel like it'd be interesting to have, like, Ken Rosenthal discuss his, not his source, he won't give up his source, but, I mean, some people want notoriety. I don't think he's in that position where he would want notoriety necessarily. So he must have something that proved to him that he had to go public with this. But uh, as you said, I haven't. We have. We've seen the garbage can. And we've seen the guys like taking good swings on tough pitches. There is no proof that they were doing anything different than other teams are doing. And maybe to your point, they were talking about reducing the shifts. Maybe they just take technology out of the dugout. No iPads. No whatever. I mean, that would just be an easy solution. We can't really prove what they did or what they didn't do. If you want to go up to the clubhouse, as you said, and watch the game feed, then you can do that. But, I mean, there's ways around all of this stuff, as you said, Suzuki and Gomes. I mean, you see it all the time with the catchers, especially in the playoffs, looking up at the hitter to see where their head is. And then they, they tap their glove on the inside, and then they move outside. And you know when they move outside, you know, all right, I know what pitch is coming. I mean, it's kind of – these are little things just watching the game. As you said, we encourage the fans to kind of start – picking up on the intricacies of baseball. And this is what I tell my friends when they go, yeah, baseball is boring. And now, you know, being out of baseball, like going to a game and having a beer is kind of fun. And then you watch the game with a different, in I mean, I can tell you a pitch is coming. You can watch guys move over, watch a shortstop, take two steps to his left right before the pitch is, you know, so, oh, it must be a fastball in or whatever it is. It's just, you can start watching those things. And I think that increases the enjoyment of the game, but you also see how, how much scrutiny, how much scouting, how much specific uh, intel goes into the game. And so I, I don't want to, like I said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to start saying that there's, uh, there's definite proof that teams are doing it. If there is proof, then to your point, I think there should be punishment. And it uh, be interesting to see, see how high it went up. I know AJ very peripherally, 
I think you probably know him a little better, but I, I just can't see him from an ethics standpoint and a competitive standpoint, having any knowledge about anybody doing this stuff. And, and I, you know, I would say that about a lot of guys, but I just don't see AJ doing that. Yeah. That's a whole nother level of getting in there, but uh, hopefully, you know, I don't know how long this thing's going to get drug out, but it's going to take a while to part for them to probably figure this out and get, get to the bottom of what's going on. But I've really, unfortunately, I feel like it's just the beginning. I know that the Astros are the target and they are going to do whatever they can to expose the Astros for what they feel is cheating. And if it is, it is. If it breaks the rule, it breaks the rule. But I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny around the game as far as rule breaking. Are we, you know, that was one of the interesting things about uh, sports and interesting things about baseball is that, you know, you found ways to skirt this, not skirt the rules, but it was one of those things. If, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Or, you know, it ain't cheating until you get caught. So now, you know, if the Astros do get caught and it is considered cheating, they, they will definitely make that designation and probably levy uh, some heavy fines, if not draft picks. I don't know if they're able to do that. But uh, as far as solutions are concerned, I'm going to get to that at maybe at the tail end of this when we get done talking about it. But because I have an idea of what can happen, I actually think it'll help the pace of play also, which could be appealing to Rob Manford. So if he needs a right hand man in the in the commissioner's office, just give me a call. You can get at me at Blummer27 on Twitter if you want, uh, Mr. Manfred. Go for it, Rob. But one of the interesting, <laughs> but one of the interesting things that's come out of this whole article is that there is an actually a named source, and part of me gives Mike Fires a little bit of credit for not being just a random ex player. He actually put his name to it, so small credit in that sense that he's actually putting himself out there. But at the same time, I think it opens himself up for a lot of uh, scrutiny himself. So it's kind of interesting that these quotes have come out two years after, you know, why, why now? Uh, were you okay with it when you were an Astro? Now that you're not an Astro, you're not okay with it? Or were you okay with it in 2017 when it was helping you uh, spit the hook on some losses or helping you win ball games and helping you uh, go out there and get some arbitration money or a better contract. And then all of a sudden you got left off of all of the, uh, the playoff rosters and you weren't a part of the ALDS, ALCS or the world series, even though you were a heavy contributor, are you angry about that? Uh, are you looking at not just a vendetta against the Astros organization? Are you looking to get a vendetta against guys in that clubhouse? Because basically you burned everybody in that clubhouse who was your teammate. I'd be real curious. And I haven't seen anything or heard anything from, teammates of his in 2017 it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out i doubt anything will be said publicly because i think more of the talk will be on the field uh it's the matchup between the a's and astros is going to be that much more interesting because mike fires will be facing a team that he's already ratted out and uh my i, I want to know i'm not i'm not a journalist i'm, I'm a player ex-player broadcaster so there is a little bit of a journalistic side to what i do but at the same time i want to know if ken rosenthal and evan drellich in talking to mike fires got the information and then turned it around and said is there anything going on on your current team right now that you would like to tell us about and if there was do you tell guys on your current team that they shouldn't be doing that because that's not right that's not how you play the game because Mike Fires is all of a sudden the, the patriarch of baseball who knows how to play the game appropriately. Now, that being said, if I'm wearing the same uniform and I'm in that clubhouse with Mike Fires, watch your ass because you push that guy the wrong way or you say the wrong thing or if he gets traded or if he gets uh, released, DFA'd, goes to another team, watch your ass 
because I don't know if he's got a, a book he's taking notes on, but man, he, he doesn't seem like a guy that would, would, you know, wait a heartbeat to go ahead and throw somebody under the bus. So I think it, I'm real curious to see how that uh, plays out in the uh, clubhouse uh, that he's in next season. But um, he better watch out when he's pitching. If he has any kind of shiny substance on on his glove or on his person, whether it be sunblock, pine tar, chewing tobacco, chewing gum, I don't know. Somebody's going to try and get him. He, he now has that camera that was on that catcher's crotch is now going to be right in his face trying to pick apart what he's doing. So he's got a lot coming his way as far as this season's concerned. And it, it also it, it brings up how far do we take these rules? Tell what are your thoughts on fires? Yeah, so Jim Jim Bouton wrote that book Ball Four, which I read, and they it was such a controversy back you know sixties and seventies when he wrote it about you know Mickey Mantle drinking too much or whatever it was, but it seems so uh, subdued compared to today's day and age with technology and things that people say and they delete tweets and everything like that. But I've said this for a long time, especially when I got out of baseball. Vegas basically stole most clubhouse rules, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That clubhouse thing is is really sacred in that, you know, you spend so much time with those guys and the family, you know, kind of atmosphere. And I kind of think, as you already pointed out, if you if you have issues with the ethics and the things that are going on in, in the clubhouse, you got to bring them up during the season. I mean, we saw the Giants struggle this year with the the guy that played at Texas, Holland. Derek Holland had some things to say about Bruce Bochy. And, a week later, uh, he was no longer a giant, and he handled it the right way. Derek Holland, that wasn't even controversial. He basically said he thought he should be in the rotation. Bochi disagreed with him, but the fact that he went public, Bochi said, look, um, you know, we can't have a guy going public and creating this kind of turmoil in the clubhouse. Let's give him a, you know, let's DFA him, give him a chance somewhere else. So something as simple as that. Now, Mike Fires is accusing the Astros of, you know, as you said, cheating. They're basically cheating. The reason they won is because they cheated. Um, they're trying to, you know, as you said, the New England, New England Patriots of the of Major League Baseball. I mean, you're you're basically saying that, you know, AJ Hinch and the GM Jeff Luno and all these guys kind of know about it. This is a kind of an a, 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 an organizational wide kind of everybody knows that this is what's happening. This is how they go about their business, and this is how they won the World Series. Like you said, that's them's fighting words in the old day. And you better be careful if you're lockering next to him or, you know, who knows what he's doing with that. But I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like he, he stepped out on a limb and, and I, and I think he probably wishes he hadn't done that, but that's just me saying that maybe he wants to fight the world. I don't know, but he's going to have a hard time. Uh, he's going to have a hard time making friends in clubhouses. And, you know, hopefully, like you said, he's not a free agent this year because, you know, he may have pitched his last inning and that, that would be really hard to, to go run polls and, you know, go to work every day with a guy like that in your, on your roster. Yeah. Cause you're right that, you know, that is sacred ground inside that clubhouse. And, you know, I say this every once in a while, I only know what I know because it's what I've done and being inside these clubhouses, Benny, I've been traded three times. I've been released three times. I've played with six different teams. My 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 six degrees of Kevin Bacon or Ke or Jeff Blum stretch quite quite a ways, so I've played with the best of the best. I've played with mediocre. I've played with uh, guys who got a cup of coffee and left, but I've also played with guys who 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 scuffed baseballs, used pine tar, you know, picked signs, did things. 
but I didn't run from team. I faced these guys. I there's one guy in particular. I'm not going to tell you his name because I love. I actually love the guy. Boo, boo. <laughs> yeah, let's out him right here on the podcast. You'll be uh, Mike Fires Blum. No. <laughs> yeah, but I love the guy and I appreciate his competitiveness. But I know that there there was a guy who scuffed. Uh, he loved it. He bragged about it. Love scuff, scuff the baseball, make that thing move all over the place. We had a great time with it when we were teammates. And all of a sudden, he's on the opposing team. Guess what happened when I was on the opposing team? I knew it. I mentioned to a couple to a couple of guys in the dugout. I say, hey, "Man, this ball may move wherever. It's tough to anticipate, but if the ball moves funky, just don't be surprised. Just go out there and compete your ass off. See what happens." And I didn't go to the papers. I didn't say anything after the game after he struck me out or got me to roll over. I was just like, hey, I know he's doing it. He knows I know he's doing it. Is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? And we went out there and competed. I got a couple of hits off him. He got me out a couple of times, but it all, you know, I don't believe baseball evens out, but I do believe that, you know, you have to play it out kind of thing. But I, I, I'm not going to run to the papers and go, man, you know why I struck out, uh, you know, with the bases loaded against so-and-so? Because he scuffs. He's a scuffer. He cheats. I'm not, I'm not that guy. And I don't know how mad I would have to be or how upset with something I'd have to be to be able to do that to somebody in a public forum and say, they're cheaters and throw them under the bus. Um, do you ever see a situation where you could be that mad to actually have that kind of vendetta? Because there's something going on between ex-employees and ex-player Mike Fires, where they really felt the urge or felt comfortable enough with their dislike for the Astros to say something. Yeah, you know, my family was a little bit more upset than I was based uh, based on the fact that I played during the uh, steroid era. But uh, I mean, if you're willfully kind of this goes to the technology thing, I think the line's there. If you're willfully cheating, you know, making yourself better, giving yourself a huge advantage. I, I look at scuffing. It's so funny. Not because I'm a pitcher, but I look at scuffing very similar to what we said about sign stealing. Like if they don't throw the baseball out or you pick up the ball off the mound and you give it a little scuff and, you know, I, I used to know guys that would do that if they, you know, how they used to roll the ball at the mound. Now they don't even do that, but you would go out and you would push the ball down into the grass and the dirt a little bit harder and scuff it. If you're able to get away with that, that's kind of part of the rules of the game. I mean, it's kind of like playground or, uh, you know, or uh, uh, sandlot type baseball. I'm fine with that. I think, you know, where you cross the line is, like you said, if you're adding technology into the sign stealing and you're taking it to a new level, uh, then then that's different. And I think steroids kind of cross that line. I looked at, uh, you know, guys have been covering their mouth, right? NFL, they cover their mouth with a play sheet. The, every time there's a conversation at the mound, they cover their, you know, you know why they do that? Because people can read lips. I mean, Austin Rivers last night was saying, give him a technical, give him a technical. You saw that with Doc Rivers, his dad? Oh, it was hilarious. It was so good. It was that great, was but you can read man. his lips. I mean, so there's not a lot of secrets anymore with slow-mo and digital technology and all that. So, you know, I, I, there is, to me, there's a, there's a hard line right there. Like I said, steroids, technology, and we can, you know, I could say yes or no on, on certain things, but I agree with you. I mean, it, it would be even funnier if you could hit a scuffed baseball out of the yard and then smile at the guy the whole exactly. way around. Ha, exactly. Scuffer. I got you. But it's part of the Yeah, unfortunately, it is part of the game. And I think, Tuttle, there are in agreement that in real time, during the game situation, if you are using technology, shame on you. And we have yet to see any of that determined. I have a solution. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to predict this. And I'm going to hopefully be at the forefront of this because I all we keep hearing, and we hear this a lot 
uh, around especially Twitter is we hear a lot about the problem and who's who's to blame and who did this and why you're you're less of a human than I am. One thing we haven't heard is a solution. How do you how do you solve this problem? You're going to correct it, you're going to penalize, you're going to have consequences, but how do we how do we create solutions? I want to hear some solutions. Go to bleacherblums.com, go to the mailbag, give us an idea of what your solution for this in-game real-time technology sign ceiling is. And I'm actually going to rely on uh, on technology to solve the problem. We've seen it in football. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, captain on defense, and quarterback. They have the green dot on their helmets, says that they have the, the speaker in their helmet, and the coach is relaying the signal to get it in there. Hey, guess what? With the way earbuds and AirPods and all that, <laughs> we could yell at pictures on our AirPod podcast now. But put put the earbud, find a way to get wireless technology into the pitcher's ear. Find a way to get wireless technology into the catcher's ear. Either give the pitching coach or the manager the mic and relay the message. Put the pitch and just the pitch. I'm not saying first and third situations. I'm not saying defensive alignments. Strictly the pitch. Maybe pitch and location. I'll give you that. But keep it simple. Open it up for about five, five to ten seconds. Put a clock on the board. I don't know. Or maybe have the umpire with a switch that turns off and on the microphone. But give them the opportunity without giving signs, without talking to each other before, first sign after two. Take that out of the mix. Have the, have the catcher or the, or the uh, uh, manager say, fastball, low and away. If you shake, go to slider, down and in. Go. That's all you get. Figure out a system on the, or give it, give it nicknames. You know, throw them the slippy down and in. Throw, throw them the, uh, throw, give them the old upper and the upper, you know, I don't know. Come up with your code language. I don't care. Put the wireless Bluetooth technology in their ears and get the information to them. That'll cut down on the mound visits. That'll cut down on the confusion and the shakeoffs from the pitcher. And the only thing that's really going to hurt is the defensive guys. But now that we're playing in shifts, do guys even care what pitch is being thrown? They're in a position already to make a play. Tuttle, am I, am I an idiot? Fans, am I an idiot? I love it. I don't know if that's going to speed it up. I'm trying to think of a few little hiccups in there. You know what I've seen in uh, girls softball is uh, the wristband, you know, like 21. So, twenty. The, mm -hmm. you know, you can say 21. Two is a slider. One is the location. So, 21 or 33 or you could just have your quadrants. You could do something like that. The problem I have with it is, like you said, if, if you're going to go with the pitch, then everybody's on the same page. I love the technology for that. If, you know, if the coach can say 21 and everybody knows that that's a slider in the, you know, in the one location, whatever that is, low and away, then 21 is so easy to say right into the microphone. If they disagree, that's where I go. Like the guy's like, no, I want to go fastball up and in. So he can't, like you said, talk back to them. Uh, I'm thinking like a wristband type solution uh, where they can be on the same page. But uh I don't know. I, I think sign stealing has been part of the game for a long, long time. And uh, we've already talked about that ad nauseum. I just feel like, I just feel like we have to, you know, as you said, take the technology out of it. And, and, and maybe that's a way to take the technology out of it by, uh, by not having visual signs that they can study and film and relay. So anyway, it would be interesting to see how it goes. It will be. And hopefully it comes to, uh, you know, 
it's, it comes to an end here pretty quick because it has been a lot of fun to see some of the awards being given out. And on a brighter note, we're done with that. We're done with the sign stealing cheating gate for the time being until we actually get some hard evidence to figure out what's going on. So good stuff by you, Tuttle. Um, I appreciate you blowing up my Bluetooth earpiece idea. Of course, it's awesome. But uh, <laughs> we'll move on to the awards. We know the Cy Young Award winner in the American League, Justin Verlander, well-deserved. Tight race. He got 17 first-place votes uh, to 13 votes for Garrett Cole. Were you shocked by that at all? Yeah, I was. I actually thought Cole would win this year. But, uh, you know, I, it's a popularity contest to some extent, and I forget that. As somebody said, well, I have a vote. I'm going to do this. Verlander's been around the game a long time. Threw a no-hitter this year. His numbers were decent, but uh, he probably has, you know, having played for, I guess, well, Cole played in Pittsburgh as well, but having played for a couple teams and kind of made his way around in the national spotlight, I think, uh, you know, probably swayed those three or four votes for uh, for his candidacy and, uh, and, and it is well-deserved. So, I mean, either of those guys could have won it, and I, I wonder what Garrett Cole thinks about it. Yeah, I thought Garrett Cole was going to win it too just because he was so dominant down the stretch. But I guess the full body of work is what gets Justin Verlander the numbers. Uh, getting to that 3,000 strikeout mark this season, getting to 300 strikeouts for the first time in his career, 21 games won. Pretty impressive stuff what he's done in the Astros uniform. And again, you weren't going to be wrong choosing either Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander, but I was definitely on the side of Garrett Cole. But nothing to take away from what Verlander has done in his storied career who seems to be getting stronger here down the stretch in his career. Jacob deGrom, uh, National League Cy Young Award, no no real shock there. A couple of other non-shocking things. It's basically been the Mets-Astros show as far as Rookie of the Year and uh, Cy Young. So uh, Pete Alonso, Rookie of the Year in the National League for the New York Mets. Jordan Alvarez, duh, unanimous decision for Jordan being the Rookie of the Year in the American League. Rocco Baldelli, Manager of the Year in the American League. And then Schilt of the St. Louis Cardinals National League Manager of the Year. But it leaves the big one, and I believe it's tonight, the MVP award, where the Astros can go for the clean sweep as far as Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, and MVP. Do you think there's a chance that Alex Bregman actually beats out perennial MVP vote-getter Mike Trout? Of course there's a chance, right? There's, you're saying there's a chance. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Lloyd Christmas taught us everything we need to know That's about right. that. That's right. You're saying there's a chance. Uh you know, aside from this uh, Astros gate, this film gate thing coming out, I, uh, I, of course, I think there's a chance. And I personally, uh, I try to be unbiased on here and not as pro Astro, but I feel like, uh, I just feel like because he finished out the year, we talked about this a few podcasts back, Bregman had a solid year and finished up getting to that 40 homer number and just, you know, had a full season. I feel like gives them the edge, but as you know, I mean, plate appearances or minimum plate appearances, whatever gets you into that qualifying number. Obviously Mike Trout's numbers look really, really good. And, uh, you know, I, Mike Trout is known as the best player in baseball and kind of like LeBron never winning MVP. It's Westbrook. And then it's Harden. I mean, I think LeBron can win it every year. He's kind of like third or fourth. It's like, uh, you know, he's the bridesmaid, but not the bride. Let's we can make Mike Trout the bridesmaid this year because he's going to win it every year that he's healthy. He's going to win the MVP and uh, and you know he played on a on a kind of a mediocre team. So I I, I like to throw in the fact that uh, a solid player on a you know on a championship type team I think gets the edge. A lot of people argue that he has no you know he has tons of help versus Mike Trout not having any help and look what he does with nobody in the lineup. So you know flip a coin. 
I, I think there's a chance Bregman could win it. And I think we've seen with Jordan and Verlander winning those other awards that it's not so much that the Astros can't win an award. They can if they if they put up the numbers and the and the writers agree with with uh, with me, I guess. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they do because Alex Bregman did a great job, and I agree. If you're, if you're, and it's very similar to the Cy Young race in the American League that we talked about. Is it, is it the bulk of the season? Is it from start to finish? And obviously, with injury to Mike Trout, he was unable to finish because if he did finish and he put up numbers that he was continuing to do, we'd be like, "Yep, Mike Trout MVP," because his numbers absolutely stood out. But I think the bulk of work favors Alex Bregman. Uh, he had numbers that were comparable. I think he was, you know, second or third behind Mike Trout in a lot of the peripherals, the OPSs, the on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and things like that. And then he had the traditional numbers as far as batting average, home runs, and RBIs. And to Tuttle's point, whether you like it or not, there are a lot of voters out there that really put an emphasis on most valuable or most valued player on the team. Who would it be? And a lot of them will point to the fact that Alex Bregman was the best player on the best team in the American League, and that might uh, help push him over the top. But at the same time, I'm with Tuttle, man. If if you're watching LeBron James or you had the chance to see a guy like Michael Jordan or some of these greats in other sports that you really got to enjoy, you better be enjoying what Mike Trout is doing because we this is generational, if not the best player ever to play the game of baseball the way he goes out there and does it. So I appreciate everything that uh, Mike Trout does. And I'm actually... You know, hearing about him and then being able to cover his games, he was one of those guys that uh, if I'm walking past the TV, I'll watch the at-bat, or if I see him make a highlight play, I'll watch the highlight because he is so good at what he does. But at the same time, when I actually got my eyes on him, you know, I always hear, oh, the eye test, it doesn't mean anything. Man, BS. Watching Mike Trout in person is remarkable what he's able to do because he's built like a linebacker and he flies He's got power. He's got great discipline at the plate. He makes adjustments. And that's what I like to see, too, about Mike Trout and uh, some of these guys who are uber crazy, freaky talented, is that they put their mind into it, too, and all of a sudden it elevates them to another level. And that's kind of where Mike Trout is for me. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, this is not a knock on Mike Trout. It's kind of like I saw, you know, Alex Bregman, Bregman excuse me, finish out the year strong and take his team to the playoffs and, you know, lead him to the World Series. That's something to be uh, considered for me, but I, I realize that that's, as you said, that's a t totality of work, and it doesn't diminish anything that Mike Trout is, has done or is doing. You know, it's kind of like, hey, give somebody else a chance this year. You missed the last two months, and then you know next year get back to your MVP caliber uh, caliber game playing, and maybe with a better Anaheim Angels team, you know, we'll see more of Mike Trout as well. So both those guys, I think you and I said this at the beginning of the podcast. I mean. I was very close to making the big leagues. You played, you know, 14, 15 years in the big leagues. All of these numbers are great, but neither of us ever got to that, you know, air, uh, that air of, you know, I mean, Bregman yeah. and Arenado and Mike Trout and, you know, Garrett Cole. And I mean, these guys are generationally exceptional players, most likely Hall of Famers. And we can argue all day about, you know, do you want Bregman or Trout? I'll take them both. You take everybody else, and uh, and we're good to go, right? <laughs> That's a great call, actually. Heck yeah, I would replicate any of those any of those two guys and go out there and try and dominate on the National League side, which will be announced hopefully later today. Is Christian Yelich, uh, Cody Bellinger, and Anthony Rendon? I am going with the Dodger. I think it's going to be uh, Bellinger that comes out with that. He had a phenomenal year on a great team. Uh, thoughts on that, Tuttle? 
Yeah, absolutely the same thing. Uh, Bellinger, because of the totality of work from day one to uh, day, you know, day 162, as it is, uh, you know, Rendon, obviously, boy, I mean, phenomenal baseball player and took his team to the playoffs, but, you know, had a little up and down. His numbers weren't quite as good as Bellinger and or Yelich. And then Yelich, similar to Trout this year, um, you know, broke his kneecap there at the end, missed, you know, five or six weeks and, you know, wasn't himself. But again, take any of those guys, we can make this conversation a lot shorter, take any of those guys and you can have the rest. I mean, Yelich is phenomenal. Uh, obviously, uh, Rendon is going to be generationally wealthy after this offseason and a great middle of the order hitter and has been phenomenal forever. But, you know, Bellinger had the year. He started out with three or four home runs or seven home runs in the first week of of the season. And uh, he really never tapered off. His defense was phenomenal. They moved him around. He played center field. He played right field. He played first base. I mean, that's something that, you know, that Bregman does that we don't really talk about as well. But these guys that can kind of move position to position and still not uh, falter at the plate is uh, is pretty phenomenal. And I think Bellinger certainly deserves that. Somehow, I think that race isn't quite as close as the Bregman-Trout race. No, great call on the versatility, too, because I think one thing that gets lost with Bellinger, too, is the dude can flat out fly. I mean, he beats out a ton of hits. Uh, that helps the batting average out, but it also allows him to be more versatile. And again, a great point on Alex Bregman, too. We, we kind of forget and just say he's a third baseman. But with Carlos Correa on the shelf for as long as he was, Alex Bregman moved over to shortstop and continued to go out there and hit and play great defense. But that has been a lot of baseball talk, a lot of signs stealing, a lot of signal calling. And now we're getting the end of the year awards out of the way. But there, oh, that leaves me wanting one thing. And it leaves me wanting one thing every podcast, and that is my desire to know what'll Tuttle say. I agree with you, Blummer. What'll Tuttle say today has no <laughs> baseball in it. Uh, it's a little selfish, I guess, but uh, I was watching an old episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives the other night with Guy Fieri, and he's rolling out. I don't know if you watch that show. The way that you can tell whether the food on Guy Fieri's show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, is good or not, is when you come home from a meal, and you're stuffed, and you're sitting on the couch, and you turn that on, and you're like, oh my God, what is that food? That looks so good. Because you know how it is when you go to the grocery store hungry, and you're starving, and you're like, oh, I want this. Oh, I want some of those. Yeah, how, how many things can I get off the shelf? When you're stuffed on a Friday night and had a couple of cold ones, you're like, and you see a cheeseburger, you're like, and you would still eat it, you know it's good food. So uh, the reason I bring it up, though, is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives gives me a ton of hope for this podcast. We started this podcast about eight to 10 months ago. We're about episode 45, 46, 47, somewhere in there. Not keeping track, folks, but you know we do realize that the listenership's picking up and it is the off-season. We're trying to be consistent here in the off-season. And of course, if Astro Gate hadn't hit, then we would probably be less Astros and more fun stuff. But uh, but Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives gives me so much hope for this podcast. Uh, it was an old episode. I think that show must have been, it's probably been on eight to 10 years now. And he had old film footage and he was in this older restaurant and he's not a TV guy, he's a chef. And I look at us like, hey, we're just ex-ball players here. You know, we're dads, ex-ball players, and we sit in the parking lot and we're like, hey, we should talk about this. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, we have some insight on this. And I realized, you know, somebody told me we should go back and listen to podcast one or two, and I'm scared to do that. So uh, 
I, I, that's all I wanted to say is folks keep, you know, listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing. I mean, we really enjoy doing the podcast. I think our friendship and our insight and all of those kind of things are getting better and stronger and easier. Uh, but I will say watching Guy Fieri do his first five episodes of Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives is a heck of a lot different than watching him do it now eight to 10 years later. He's much sharper. His charisma is better. Uh, maybe the editing is better. We need a better editor. That'll help us out, right? But uh, anyway, it gives me a ton of ton of hope for the podcast, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you. And folks, I, I, I'm not. We're not being paid to say this. I'm not being paid to say this, but that's kind of an enjoyable show. So if you ever get a chance, you can watch Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Blummer? I could. You know what? It's amazing, and it is a process. And you know, the first 10, 20 podcasts maybe were practice for us. We were trying to figure out what the hell we were doing. It basically took me about two years just to figure out how to get it up, uploaded. So, I mean, it's been a process from from ground up. And I agree with you in the sense that it would be kind of entertaining that we, if we do get to go back and listen to some of those, it would be frightening, but it would be entertaining. I know that when I first started my broadcast uh, career in 2013-14, I would be scared to death to go back and listen to some of those games because number one product wasn't all that great. And I was trying to, you know, put lipstick on a pig and I don't know if I was good at it. And I, I recall some of the, some of the games and some of the situations and I'm like, good God, what did I say? You know, cause you're, you're trying to learn and you're trying to be acceptable, but you don't know what is acceptable or if you are any good. And one of the things I've heard throughout being, you know, putting myself out there, as far as broadcasting and podcasting is, is you're going to be your own, you're going to be the toughest critic on yourself. And you need to understand, Tuttle, for me, just speaking to you right now, you need to understand that people are enjoying what you're doing. You're doing a very good job. I know that so you probably get off the podcast sometimes you're like, damn it, why did I say that? Or damn it, why didn't I say that? You know, you feel like you're leaving something out, but you're doing a great job. And I have hope too, because I'm enjoying it. And if you have been listening and we have been getting better, it's because we want to. And I think that's the biggest thing. And anything you do in life is if you want to get better, that means you're enjoying it. So go out there and enjoy yourself and get better at what you do. That's what we're trying to do. And maybe we'll have a special episode where we have some snippets that I cut out from uh, early podcasts and, uh, and, and get to listen to. And maybe we can critique ourselves a little bit. So good. Good on you for what will Tuttle say, man. I, it just made me think of Stuart Smalley when you said that, right? You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart and, enough. And doggone it, people like me, you know, like that's what, that's what this is all about. No, uh, I appreciate you saying that Blummer and, and I'm enjoying it. And I guess that's all that matters, right? We're not doing this for, uh, for fame and notoriety. We're doing this because we enjoy it. And it's a, it's a good uh, medium for us to be able to get, uh, get it out, get our thoughts and our, and our kind of insight out to the folks. So again, just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to lay that out there. There's hope for us and, uh, and, and I'm enjoying the shit out of it. No, we're having a great time. And I think part of the process for, for Tuttle and I is taking a lot of the sports talk out of the studio and putting it onto the couch and have a little fun with it and have some of those conversations that you have with your buddies at the bar, or maybe we're taking it out of the studio and putting it at the bar top. Maybe we'll use that as our, uh, as our memorandum on how we want to run this show. But, uh, that being said, you know, we're not getting paid much. We have a couple of sponsors, but it brings me to Blum and Blummer. I've got an idea about the NCAA and, and some of the payment issues and some of the stories we've heard. So here's Blum and Blummer. Expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. 
Jeff Blums. Full of shit, man. All right. We've heard the story come out about how the NCAA is instituting the possibility that college athletes will get paid for their likeness, a number, name, whatever. And Jay Billis has jumped in. Jay Billis is a very smart man, a lawyer, way smarter than I am. But I just got a small, brief idea. And until we actually see the NCAA follow through on any of this stuff, it's another thing. See, you know, seeing is believing, um, but they need to actually step up and, and help these college athletes find a way to to reap the benefits of their stardom if they're an individual or their team because i think a lot of these teams you know there's name recognition in alabama oregon usc so they're monetizing the school also but they're monetizing the players who wear the uniforms and i've just got a real simple idea because in baseball you have a players union and inside the union you have guys like jeff blum you have guys like Barry Bonds at the time. Well, Barry got kind of booted out or chose to come out. So let's pick somebody else. Maybe a, a guy like Mike Trout is in the union. So what I'm trying to tell you is inside the players union, you've got superstars and you've got fringe guys. You've got role players. You've got day-to-day -day guys. You've got you know one-year contract guys. You just have the entire spectrum within the Major League Baseball Players Union. Now, anything that has a Major League Baseball Players logo on it is called licensing. People pay a shit ton of money to have that label on their their gear, their uh, you know clothing, on their product, and that money goes into a pool for the players. Yes, the teams get theirs, but the players also get theirs, and then it's spread out evenly across those players. So why not create a licensing program for all student athletes? Now, granted, the hard part's going to be where, how do you distribute the money? Because there's three major sports in college, like there is in life. It's football, basketball, baseball is not necessarily a revenue producing sport, but uh, there are two big sports, basketball and football bring in a bulk of the money. So my idea was create something similar where the money goes into a pot and then you distribute it. And I don't know if it's based on how much revenue the sport brings in or what, but instead of picking out the particular player and just you know glorifying the player who's selling the jersey, kind of I'm trying to be a little more inclusive because I feel like there's some guys that could be or players, even female players that could be left in the dust when you start to see some of these marquee names and players. But somehow find a way to create a pot that everybody can pull from and benefit from. Tuttle, give me some thoughts. Give me some feedback. I. I mean, so I don't know when I played if I was a big proponent of Title IX, but but we weren't getting. I mean, we we got kind of everything we needed, as you said. Like if we had to go play a a, a weekend series somewhere, we got on a plane flight, we got a hotel, we had all that. I didn't like your Bluetooth idea, the earpiece with the catchers and the pitchers. I really like this idea because, as you said, the people like LeBron James or Mike Trout, they're going to get their pay. They're going to get shoe deals. They're going to get the contract that's five times, 10 times more than the next guy in the clubhouse. But the licensing deals for everybody, that's what benefits everybody for being in that fraternity. And I think that should be the same thing with the school. Miami Hurricanes back in the day, right? The late 90s or early 90s with their football teams. I mean, they were a brand, obviously. Uh, Alabama football is a brand. Duke basketball is a brand. I mean, we can all name those brands. And if you get into that club, that brand, then there should be, uh, a, as you said, a stipend or a revenue sharing model in there. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I think that's what people would argue that it probably works that way now anyway, right? Don't all 20 sports benefit from 
like the eight million dollars that goes into the bowl, you know, the bowl football bowl game or something like that. I think it all goes into a pot. So maybe I'm saying it should stay the way it is. I I don't think you should pick out individual players. I think that's still always been the difference between amateur and professional. Uh, but it would be nice to see some of those programs benefit. And maybe let's a good accounting firm could do this. We can do forensic accounting or positive accounting. If we know that the football t team brings in 75% of the revenue for the entire athletic department, let's give them 50% of the money and then take the other 25% and let's disperse that over the school so that they're not solely responsible or solely getting credit for that, but they're getting a little, you know, a little extra, Hey, we'd realize the football team's providing more, uh, more revenue. And, and that's just the way it is on paper. That's not sexist. Like, Oh, female sports make less or male. That's just the football program makes 75% of the money. Let's give them half or 25% specifically for their program and then split up the rest. And I think that would be a fair way to do it. But I, I, I really like the, the foundation of what you're saying, which is we're not going to say, oh, Jeff Blum was the best you know, third baseman at Cal in you know, 1992. So he's going to get X amount or a trust fund or whatever. I mean, it's too hard to differentiate that. And you are getting you know, your meals paid for and you are getting, you know, first class travel against these teams and you are getting hopefully a degree in the long run, which in, in an alumni association gets you interviews and a job and you know, the rest of your life. I mean, all those, th all those things are still a benefit. I think we forget that sometimes, especially when we get, well, you know, this kid's coming from the inner city, he has six or seven siblings and he needs to pay for this. Then, you know, those are the guys that go pro. I mean, we just today, just the university of Memphis, the, uh, guy that could be the number one draft pick um, is now ruled ineligible until they figure out what to do with them. And that guy, you know, he's from a, a you know, a, a poor environment. He wants to make money as soon as possible. I'm not even sure what his, you know, alleged uh, kind of uh, infraction was, but uh, there are certain folks that need to make money and there are certain folks that need a degree. I think we can figure that out. But I, I do, I, I really like your idea. And I think that's something that we, um, that we, we should kind of would do. I mean, I, the governor, governor here in California has already started the pay for play type stuff. And I just don't see that going well. I don't see it going well at all. Yeah. Well, you, but again, it feels like the NCAA falls into the category of too many cooks in the kitchen type thing, but they're greedy hands. You know, that's the part that worries me is when you get legislation, this is terrible. When you get legislators or governing bodies start to go, oh, maybe we should let the players get that. All of a sudden, I'm going, wait, why, why do you all of a sudden want that? Are you going to get your hands on some of this stuff? That's where I kind of, I'm like, oh, that's why I like the idea of you going outside the NCAA or outside the governing, governing body and being like, okay, let's just get a third party who literally just crunches the numbers and gives us a program to stick to and we'll go with it. Cause that's something I think on both sides, you've got to agree with because we know if the NCAA, they have a tendency to railroad player or athletes, uh, student athletes because they're not represented. So that's another issue too. How do you represent the student athlete? But those are just some thoughts on the NCAA situation. Uh, we want to get everybody paid we, because we know how hard it is to go through the uh, student athletic part of life. But once you get out of that, and you get really smart, you get money, and all of a sudden you decide to put it on sporting events, like my boy Tuttle should have been for crying out loud. Dang it, we should have been betting a long time ago. But this segment is called Don't Bet On It.
You don't know that I don't actually bet on these. That's the that's kind of the irony of this whole segment. Mm. So, well, you know, we're gonna put that into the Bleacher Blums pot if you're winning this big money, dude. It's got to help for the right. program, well, bro. Hey, we're not getting paid yet. Not not big money. <laughs> so we'll see. So I think I've done this. We've said three games for five podcasts. So we're at fifteen now. I'm eleven for fifteen. Just wanted to throw that number out there. So you'd be making some. Yeah, it's a pretty good number. You'd be making some money. Uh, last week, I gave you San Jose State plus seven and a half. They were in Hawaii. I don't know if you remember that. They almost won the game. Of course, they lost 42 to 40, but uh, our seven and a half points are awesome. That's money there. Miami plus 11. Miami won outright, so you could have gone money line bet there and won even more. I did not recommend that. And uh, the Bengals. That was a third week I bet on the Bengals. The Bengals plus 10. They got smoked by Baltimore. I am not betting Cincinnati again until I can find a way to uh, to break that monotony or break the uh, streak there. Uh, this week, so we've been going one college football game and two pros. I'm going to go all three pro games. Tonight, I'm betting on Mike Tomlin beating Freddie Kitchens, and we're getting points, plus three. Uh, Freddie Kitchens gets a lot of heat. Everybody loves the Browns. They've been overrated, but now Pittsburgh's kind of getting that momentum. So... I think typically I would bet Browns because they're the underdog in my mind, but you're getting Pittsburgh plus three points and you're getting Mike Tomlin and his motivational like grit versus Freddie Kitchens in his uh, oversized camo sweatshirt. I'm taking Pittsburgh plus three. And then the other two games I like this weekend are Jacksonville plus three and a half. Um, I think that's Indianapolis again. So they're on the road, but I like Jacksonville getting Nick Foles back and they're getting three and a half points. I mean, look, they can lose the game. They just can't lose by more than three and a half. Three in the hook. I like it. And this will be the third week in a row I'm taking Miami. So Miami was plus 11, then last week plus 10. They won both those games outright. So they they have a two-game winning streak. This week, Miami's getting seven and a half, and I believe they're at home against the Bills. The Bills have Josh Allen at quarterback. Uh, they're a great defense, and things have been going. But Ryan Fitzmagic plus seven and a half at home, folks. We're going Pittsburgh plus three, Jacksonville plus three and a half. And I like until Miami breaks the streak, Miami plus seven and a half. Good luck. And remember, do not bet on it no matter what you do. Yeah, I like the pit call. And, you know, we took our first fantasy football loss last week because we were up against Lamar Jackson, who all of a sudden is just Mr. Football, can literally do anything on the football field. and has been a lot of fun to watch. So we ran into that buzzsaw. But the one, it, it, the reason I bring this up too is because we picked up Pittsburgh's offense maybe three three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Defense, yeah. We picked yeah. up their defense because we had to drop the Cowboys on a bye week or somebody who, I don't even know who we had because the Pittsburgh Pirates, that's exactly right. Pirate. No, we yeah we dropped <laughs> we dropped the Cowboys to pick up Pittsburgh, and it's been a been a yeah. Benefit. The Steelers have been outrageous. I mean, they have been our most consistent and at times one of the highest scoring uh, positions on our football team. But isn't it, football's crazy to me because you brought up Mike Tomlin. I love that guy. I don't know if he understands his persona, the way it comes off when he's coaching a game or his interviews. But he seems like a dude that I would be willing to run through a wall for, and it was. And I, it, I bring it up because I'm also. I was also frustrated early on watching some of the Pittsburgh games because they started getting on him. They're like, "Oh, he might be on the hot seat. He should be on the." Hot. I'm going, "What?" I'm like, "Dude, this day and age, he's one of the few guys that I actually see motivating his team in what feels like an appropriate way. It may be different underneath, but on the exterior, 
I love the way this guy manages a team and, and, and motivates these guys. I, I would love to play for him. Well, it's funny because I thought he was losing his edge and I thought maybe he's not the guy that we thought he was. He had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Big Ben and there was always mm -hmm. some turmoil. And I thought, gosh, you know, Belichick wouldn't stand for that. Tomlin's got to get a handle on it. And now Le'Veon Bell set out a year. We see what he is with the Jets. He's kind of a, you know, a, a loose cannon. And then if Antonio Brown's off his rocker, and he kept all these guys like insane and motivated, you know, these insane guys motivated within the clubhouse. I, I think I would run through a wall for Mike Tomlin. And and I do respect Pittsburgh, not a huge Pittsburgh fan, but I respect the fact that, you know, they've had like two or three coaches, really. I mean, they basically did Chuck Knoll yeah. and Bill Cower and Mike Tomlin. They're not looking for the immediate fix. They've been around the block a few times. And and obviously the fact that they've had a couple of challenging uh kind of roster moves and couple years here where it's like, all right, Big Ben's hurt this year and they're sticking with him, I think shows the character of the organization, but also probably shines a light on Mike Tomlin's character. But I feel like if, if he came on our podcast and told me to run through a wall, I would run through a wall. So I, I really like, I, I like him a lot and I'm going to take him versus Freddie Kitchens tonight. So I like it. That's awesome stuff. And it's been another great, uh, great seat in the bleachers for both Tuttle and I, we hope you enjoyed a lot of, uh, a lot of talk about the Astros controversies and you get a little bit of the fun with the, uh, what'll Tuttle say. And uh, I, I apparently have fixed the sign stealing, not according to Tuttle, but I've also fixed the NCAA. So that's my job here on Bleacher Blums is just to provide all the solutions to everything that is bothering major sporting events out there. And that's all tongue in cheek. We have a lot of fun. It's nice to have the opportunity to be able to express our opinions on this podcast and uh, to be able to live in a country where we are free to say what we want. And a lot of that is due to the fact that we have military across the world and at home who is protecting all of our uh, safeties and freedoms. First responders out there, we are we are always praying for you and wishing blessings on you because you are all of the people who will step in harm's way to make sure that we have a better way of life. We all appreciate you, especially here on Bleacher Blums. Uh, that's all I've got for this podcast, except for maybe one little smidge at the end when David Tuttle gets done talking right here. Yeah. Uh, so Veterans Day was Monday. And again, uh, uh, just to just want to reiterate our thanks and uh, and good wishes to all the uh, armed, uh, uh, not, uh, yeah, service arm armed service members how do i say that yeah armed service what i am just i'm lost i'm done i'm at a loss for words so uh yes our wait hold on i got the answer for you hold on hold on now you can oh go. there it goes yes our uh our our, our <laughs> army and marines and navy seals and everybody around the world and then of course our first responders here at home but uh folks that'll step in harm's way uh and and make it a better place to live for all of us so Again, happy Veterans Day. We missed that uh, last week, I think. And um, and that's all I got, man. Appreciate you. Great job, Tuttle. That's another week of Bleacher Blums in the books. And make sure you go to at Rams, Ram Shirts on Instagram. We got a little bit of a, a prize detail on there after this podcast is up and ready to go. And of course, go to BleacherBlums.com, brought to you by Just Geek It Solutions. They are great for uh, computer home repair and service. Look them up at JustGeekItSolutions.com. And that's going to do it. This is the end of Bleacher Blums. So you know what Tuttle and I want you to do this week? I want you to get after it. But most of all, believe it.